we spoke about the promise of the Nesim to the people of Gibbon. And we were discussing the halachic aspect of it. We spoke about the fact that a promise which is made, so to speak, under false understanding, so really it shouldn't be chal. And if that's the case, the Chayishol were misled. And if that's the case, they would have ample grounds to be made for the, to battle or to be shal HaTaras Nadarim on the Shvah, especially as we saw, the Shvah against the Mitzvah. And if that's the case, really, halachic Mitzvah. A shvah, which is against, uh, the, a shvah against what the Torah says, isn't chal bichla. So therefore, we ask the question: Why were they so makpid to keep their shvah? And we spoke about the answer of Chilul Hashem. I mentioned the last year. There's another approach as well. And then I want to show you an interesting diuk. What happened was the Givonim came. They managed to mislead the Jewish people. And it says in the pasuk we saw previously in pasuk Tesvav, it says Yeshua made peace with them. So Yeshua made peace with them and he, co- he made a covenant with them that he wasn't going to kill them and keep them alive. And then a second point, the Nesim also made a promise, swore to them that they wouldn't harm them. Then they found out, like we saw, that really these Givonim weren't from far away, they were a neighboring city. And we see that Klaishra wanted renege on the deal. The Givonim misled them. But they couldn't. Why? Because of the promise of the Nasim. Oh, and that's the point I wanted to point out. We don't see that the reason was because of Yeshua's promise to them. The problem was the promise of the Nasim. And in Pasuk Yetes is where we were holding. It says clearly, The Nasim tell the rest of the Jewish people to justify themselves. Because we made a shvur to them in the name of Hashem, now we're not allowed to touch them. And the obvious question is, what happened to Yeshua's deal with them? That came first. Why the Nesim taking the blame on themselves that because we made a shvur to them, that's the reason we can't do anything about it, whereas they only came second. Really, the the, the primary problem was the fact that Yeshua made a deal with them. And that's not mentioned anymore. So we see a basis for this in the halacha as well. Let's go back to the sugya we were discussing. It's a sugya in the darim. And the sugya in the darim is that if a person, when is a person justified in making a neder or a shvur under false pretenses? And the case of the Gemara there is what's called nodrim la nosim. And the sugya is that if a person comes and uh, threatens someone, whether to take away their money or to risk their life, it says, in the first, if you're not, I want you to make a nether that something is the case. So in a case like that, the Gemara says that if a nether which is made to an anus, to a person who's going to force them, so to speak, and if it wasn't made under their own choice, it was made under duress, it doesn't, it's not chal. That's the deal of the Gemara. No, anosim. And if a person can say that, yes, all these things are also to me, if, then if this is true, whatever, they want him to make a nether to. And... He can have in mind that I don't really mean this net, that's only because I'm forced into making it, and the net does not come. It doesn't obligate him. However, and this is the important point in the Gemara, if a person adds more than they wanted him to do, in other words, they wanted him to make a nether that, let's say, we want to know, he wants to say these things are hectic and therefore you can't steal them from me, so they don't believe him, so they say, we want you to make a nether that you're going to ask all future fruit on the world and yourself, 
if it's not true what you're saying, if these things are hektish. And he adds to what they wanted him to do. And he says, I make a nether that all fruits and vegetables are also to me, if uh, these things aren't hektish. So now he doesn't have this dispensation anymore. Because it wasn't just what they made him say. Right? If he was just forced into making the nether they made him say, then it's true. Then he wasn't, it wasn't on his choice, it was what he was forced to do. And if that's the case, so then he has a recourse and says, it wasn't what I intended. It was made under, under circumstances which I, wasn't up to me. But if he adds to the nether, then there's no excuse anymore because why did you choose to add more than what you were forced to say? If that's the case, the nether takes effect. And the same concept we see over here. The fact that the Givani came to Yeshua, they misled Yeshua. That there could have been a recourse for. Right? Yeshua could have said, well, as far as I'm concerned, they misled me. The agreements I made with them was null and void, was based on a false premise, and therefore I can, I can battle my deal with them. But the problem was that the Nassim also made an error to them. And that wasn't based on the Givonim's deception. It was a sign of goodwill, maybe, after Yeshua made a deal with the Nassim, with the Givonim, so the Nassim also wanted to Kilo, make good relations with them, and therefore they made an error without being prompted by the whole story. They weren't asked to do it. They weren't asked to do it, it wasn't part of the deal. The deal was with Yeshua, and Yeshua already made the treaty with them, and that was binding, Yeshua is the leader. Then Nassim came along and added their own shvur that they were going to be on good terms with the Givonim. And therefore, here we don't have the excuse. They were representatives of the whole people. They were representatives, and they don't have the excuse that this was part of the deception which we were forced to do. They weren't. You should have already done that. And therefore, we see when it comes to were they allowed to attack the Givonim, Yeshua's covenant isn't a part of it. That they could have gotten around. That they had an excuse for. But the second problem was that the Nassim made an unnecessary shvur to them, to, to, to be on good terms with them. And because of that, they couldn't break the shvur of the Nassim. That wasn't conditional on, so to speak, the line that the Givonim lied to Klal Yeshua. Therefore, that's why the Nassim are the ones who have to apologize, so to speak, and say, you can't attack them because of our shvur. So what's that do? What do they suggest instead? Zayis na'asilohem, v'hachiyoyisam. This is what you'll do for them, and you'll keep them alive. Because that's all they promised, they wouldn't kill them. And then there won't be that anger, so to speak, from Hashem if he broke a shvur. So what should they do? So the Nisim said that the Gibbonim will live. And then they said, but they're not going to just let, let them be. We're going to subjugate them. We're going to make them into, so to speak, servants of Klayusha. They're going to be Chaitve 18, the ones who chop the wood, the Shev Imaim in the water drawers, not like Moshe, which was for the Mishkan, but yes, the Chola Eda, for everybody. Why? Kashet Dibrahim and Asim. Internal, so to speak, discussion in Klayusha. And now, having decided that, now Yeshua calls the Gibbani. By Yekarim Yeshua. So Yeshua calls the Gibbani, by Yadabir Lem Leymar. Yadabir is always lashing of, like a strong way of speaking, a more, like, indicating a certain anger or certain harshness. And he says to them, Lama Rimisim Oisan Leymar, Rechaikim Anachim Kemoid, Vatem Mokibani Yashim. Why did you lie to us? Why did you cheat us? Now, he doesn't wait for the answer, and this is interesting. <laughs> That's what he wants to yes, say. I said, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't wait for an answer. You'll see this a number of times in Tanakh. Very often the question isn't asked because you want an answer. It's a rhetorical question. It's like, why did you do the wrong thing? 
it doesn't need an answer. There isn't anything to say. And therefore, you see, Yeshua doesn't wait to say what the response is. He says, And because of that, you cursed. 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 You're going to see this is significant. What the Nesim originally wanted is that it should be Choyt ve'eitzim v'shavim ma'am v'chod ha'edo. That they'll service the whole time Yisrael. And when Yeshua talks to Givayim, he doesn't say it's the Chod ha'edo. He says it should be the best of the Chod, it should be for the Mishkan. So you'll see there's a difference when what the reason for that difference is. Now what do the Givayim say? V'yanu et Yeshua v'yayimru ki hu gad hu gad le'avodecha se'shetziv ha'ashem le'kech ha'asmoy she'avdoi we were told that if you're all going to get destroyed. And if that's the case, we were scared for our lives. So what, what choice did we have? We did this to protect ourselves. In other words, again, it was obvious that was going to be the answer. Yeshua wasn't asking them because he wanted an answer from them. Yeshua was just prefacing the reason he wanted to give them a curse because, he said, because you cheated us. So now, Kilah the Gibbayim feel they have to explain why they did it, and they say, we were scared for our lives. And, that's the first point. They have no justification. They say, okay, so whatever you want to do to us, do it to us. We, we, did, we did what we thought we could do to save ourselves. So now, Vayaslam came, so Yeshua did what he told him he was going to do, which means he kept them alive. And he made them into water carriers. And what happens? He saved them now, from Bnei Israel. He saved them from Bnei Israel. Because the Bnei Israel wanted to kill them. Like they were meant to kill all the Canadians. Like we saw before, Bnei Israel were the ones who wanted to kill them. And the Nassim said, don't do it because we as the Nassim made a Shavuot and therefore we can't break our Shavuot to them. And therefore they try to stop the Jewish people doing that. And Yeshua, Yeshua's intervention was, he, he also he sided with the Nassim. And therefore, he wouldn't let the Bnei Israel kill them. But, what happened? And now there's a third change. Right? If you notice carefully what's happening in the Pesukim. When the Nesim originally suggested the idea of them being water carriers and wood choppers, he tells it's going to be for Klai Yisrael, for the Eidah. When Yeshua originally talks to the Gibbonim, he says he's going to make them Word choppers and water carriers for the for the Mizbech. And what actually happened is that both. For both. So what happened? Why did it change? Why did it change twice? And what was the significance of this change? Okay, so there's a So there was another point, which we said is an underlying question on the Sukkot. And that is, the Nisim didn't want to kill them because they didn't want it to be a Chilul Hashem as a result of the Shavu that they had made. But we asked the question. And that is, the Shavu halachically shouldn't have been Chav. Because you're not allowed to make a Shavu to go against the Mitzvah. And therefore, if they were Mitzvah, if they were instructed by Hashem to destroy the nations of Canaan, so once they're already commanded, so a Shavu to the contrary doesn't take effect. And if that's the case, so then uh, how can we, how could we have a good uh, argument? It's not, we're not allowed to listen to Yoshua. Yoshua doesn't, isn't, isn't chal. It doesn't work. And if that's the case, 
We go back to the original the, the original Khiya of Hashem Gav. So the Israel and Ashes of Nine, the Kraspik of Vayim too. So we thought originally and that was was there an option when it came to the nations of Knan of allowing them to so to speak to make peace with Kaisha. We saw originally that there was such an option. Right? That if one of the nations of Knan wanted to uh, surrender and make peace with Kaisha, Kaisha was allowed to accept them. Except like we saw that it was only before Kaisha entered Israel. But they'd have to leave. They wouldn't have to leave. They'd have to give up of a desire, and they'd have to either like they'd have to leave, or if they wanted to live, they'd have to give up of a desire, and like we saw, be a garrotation. Okay, that only was that was only in the gear before Klal came to Israel. If you remember, we saw this one of the reasons why they were allowed to keep Rachav Azay in their life, because on the side that we choose one of the seven nations of Canaan, but since she, so to speak, made the re- a deal with Klal before they came to Israel, so they were allowed to keep her alive. Okay, so now if that's the case, so. The Malvin here explains that the Nassim wanted to suggest the following. They said it's true that there's a mitzvah that we have to destroy all the nations, but if the if we would accept them, so to speak, on the terms that we were allowed to accept the Shevan Omus before we came to Israel, Israel, which means if they wanted to make peace with us, we would be allowed to make peace with them. So even though we're not meant to be doing that now, it's true. Once they came to Israel, it wasn't a they were meant to fight, they weren't meant to accept the Sheva Umus. But at least he wants to say it's not going against the Daraisa. The Mitzvah and the Torah allowed that option. And if that's the case, now that we've made a Shvur, so then we're allowed to, so, so to speak, go back to the din as it was before we came to Eretz Yisrael. And let me just explain the principle. Let me explain the principle in Halacha. The din of a person making a Shvur to battle the Mitzvah is only in a case where there's no other way to make the Mitzvah. In other words, the person says he's like a not to eat matzah on Pesach. So the Shvur is not chal, the person has to eat matzah on Pesach. But if a person says he's not going to eat wheat matzah on Pesach, the Shvur will be chal, because wheat matzah isn't the only option of how to eat matzah. You could eat barley matzah, you could eat spelt matzah, right? The Torah doesn't confine the mitzvah to only wheat. And if that's the case, since there's still a way to make in the mitzvah of the Torah, and if that's the case, the Shvur that I made didn't make it impossible for me to make in the Torah, Right? At the end of the day, the shvur will be chal. Now let's ask a question, a longish question. Right? Let's say a person makes a shvur, he's not going to eat wheat matzah this year. Practically, that's all he has. He doesn't have any other matzah. Which means, if he's going to keep his shvur, he's going to land up not eating matzah on Pesach, because he doesn't have oats or shvur, spelt or barley matzah. So is the shvur chal or not? In other words, the wording of the shvur didn't exclude any option of keeping the mitzvah. But practically, if you're going to keep your shvur, then the, then the option isn't there anymore. So what is then in such a case? The is, the shvur is chal. The shvur wasn't against the Torah. Right? The problem is, a person can't make a shvur against the Torah. Here the shvur wasn't against the Torah. The shvur was, he's not going to eat matzah. That's not against the Torah. The Torah gave him other avenues. The Torah allows him to eat matzah and other things. Right? Except he doesn't have that, so then it's a practical problem. Just like a person doesn't have any matzah can't be in the mitzvah, so now he's taken wheat matzah off his possible list of matzahs, so now he's in the same category if someone who doesn't have matzah. But the shvur wasn't the problem because there was a way around the shvur. It says in Melvin, I'm saying it a bit more arichos, but the idea he wants to convey is the same idea. And that is the same we're trying to say that we have another answer. We have another answer. It's true that we're not meant to do this, 
But once you came into Eretz Yisrael, the mitzvah was to kill the Umas. But did Ashvur go directly against the Torah? Maybe not, because there was another possibility of what you could do with the Umas. There was another possibility, which we're not meant to be doing right now. That's not the Lechat Chela. But right now we're meant to be killing them. But as far as the Torah was concerned, right, there was an Eitzah of, of Umas who wanted to connect the Torah Yisrael not being killed. Even though chronologically that's right. So even though right now, practically, that's not what we're meant to be doing. But when the Torah gave the mitzvah, the Chayik on the Shama, the Shvur wasn't directly against all the options of the mitzvah. And therefore they said, the act is going to be, that uh, we're going to make the Givayinim into, into a Geritosha. They're going to give up a Vajrasara, and they're going, to, they're going to give up their, whatever there was about the ancient their religion of people of Canaan, and we will be, we'll be allowed to subjugate them. Just like any other nation that the guys shall conquer, so we can be in charge of them. And if you want to enslave them, whatever you want to do, then we can do. That was the argument of the Nasim. If that's the case, if they're going to be subjugated, they're subjugated to Kal Yisrael. And therefore the Nasim said to them, that if that's the case, they're going to be water carriers, which happens for everybody. For everybody. Just like uh, when Kal shall conquer another nation, so we have the right to use them as servants, as slaves. So that's what that was the idea of what the Gibani wanted. I wouldn't see one to them, sorry. Now, Yeshua adds another point. Yeshua adds another point to them. Well, this is interesting. He made a problem to them. He tells them, you cheated me. And then I'm adding another point. I'm ruining my time. I'm giving you a curse. What was the point of that? What was the point of this curse? What was the implication of the curse? So Yeshua is worried about something else. And this we see later on by David and Melech, who makes it much more clear. And when he meets the Gibbonim after Shaul, the story of the Shaul, Right, and this is what the Gemara says in the beginning of the third paragraph of Ksuvus, Right? You should, even though he was going to allow the Gibbonim to live because they couldn't kill them now, and as a result they would have to give up Avarizar and be a Geritoshav, which means live as non-Jews among the Jewish people, you should have a different problem. He didn't want them to marry the Jewish people. He didn't want them to marry the Jewish people. Because were known to have bad Right? For many reasons he didn't want the Kanaan to marry. And therefore, repeating what Noach originally said to the Canaanim, that they are a Canaan, right? And therefore, like Abram says, I'm not going to marry you. You are an Ambarach, you can keep being apart. He said that he has the descent of Canaan, right? We don't marry into a family that's Aru, so he sure repeats that to them. He says, listen, we're letting you live. We have to, we're keeping the promise of the Nassim made to you. Remind you're going to be in the midst of Klai Yisrael, but we don't want you to mingle with Yisrael. He's cursing them that they don't, they don't, he doesn't want them to mix. Like we said, David Amalek later on made it strong, he made it into Xerah. There is also to marry Givani. Yeshua didn't go that far, but he made it at least Oru. He made it uh, cursed, and therefore we, we want to separate from the Givani. And part of the way of doing that was in order that there shouldn't be you know, workers for every Jewish person. Everyone's manning, if everybody's work, if everybody's uh, or helper in the house of the Givani, then there's much too much connection with them. And therefore, when Yeshua wants to subjugate them, he wants them to work with the Mizbech. If it's for a communal institution, or whatever it's going to be, for, for the Mishkan, so then we don't have the problem of them mixing with Klai the same way. And that's why Yeshua's idea was, when he told them, we don't want you to mix with Klai and therefore, if I'm going to subjugate you, it's going to be for the benefit of the Tzibur, not for each individual to take advantage of the Givoni as, as a private worker. So that's why Yeshua told them that it's going to be the base of that guy. Now, what happened to Mesa is the land that's been bought. By Yitzhak Mishav, Yayim, Mokhoit, Vayetzim, Shavay, Amayim, Ra'ayda, Ulam, Yitzhak Hashem. Once again, 
once the Nisim had told Klai Yisrael that this is what they're going to do with them, and they're going to, the Nisim told Klai Yisrael they're going to make them uh, servants for the, for the benefit of the Tzivur. So, the other way around that, Yeshua was also, so to speak, bound by what they'd already said. And therefore he did both. They became uh, a Vodim, both for the benefit of the, of the, of the Mizbech and for the Eidah, and for Klai Yisrael to use as well. I think the Radak says that the Radak and Amun say, and they say that the, the service of the Aida was for the seven years that they were conquering, conquering the land, and they were conquering the land. And then afterwards, where did they settle? They settled by the Mizbech, and the reason for that was, like we said in the previous year, and that is, you can't give Nachla to a person who doesn't belong to one of the Shvatim. Mm-hmm. And therefore, in the, it's, and that's the Mahalach of the Radak, they, was, they could serve Klai Yisrael as long as no one had taken inheritance. So when Klai Yisrael is still conquering the guy, Klai Yisrael is still traveling and they haven't yet taken the inheritance, so the Givonim would be with them to serve them. When everyone takes their Nachala, so then there isn't a Makum for anyone else to get. Like we said before, and therefore, because what we said previously, that the only place that they could get Nachala was by the Mizbech, because that was something which the Tzibur, so to speak, dedicated for the use of whatever was needed for the Mizbech. That's the answer. And that is, on the t- we said before, Zmachloik Yosef Rachov was a stranger who had come to oh, live in Yerichoi, which is one answer. Or the other option was she was one of the seven nations. And the question would be in Yosha. And that is, that come with the Indian of, of Oral Canaan, and therefore one shouldn't marry Canaan. So why did Yosha marry Canaan? We find precedents already in the Torah for that. that the we find the Zmachloik Yosef Rachov, the brothers, or the, bro- the Shvatim married. Zmachloik Yosef Rachov, the Shvatim married. married. Right, there's one opinion in the Midrash that they married Kananim, and the other opinion in the Midrash says Chas yeah, If you see, Abraham Avinu was so careful that Yitzchak should marry Kananim, and Yitzchak was so careful that Yaakov should marry Kananim, so it's possible to think that his sons are going to marry Kananim, Chas So you see already there the same two sides to the question. Was it possible to marry Kananim, or was it something anathema? It was impossible. There was no way they'd marry Kananim. And if it's the same, if you see, if that's what one holds, then you have to say, Rachel wasn't a Kananim. If one says that there was a possibility of marrying Kananim, Assuming that they weren't people who were like inherently bad people, that it wasn't, it wasn't be asked to marry them the same way. So then you can explain why Rachel, but someone you sure felt you could marry, whereas the Givonim, so other Rabbi, you sure wasn't happy with them, and so it gives them a curse that they'll never become part of the Jewish people.